mind, but I didn't have it with me. So this week I brought it with me to show it to you. I am using this. It's a really, really wonderful commentary, line by line, on this particular uh, faith verses of the Zen of the Third Zen Patriarch. And the interesting thing is, I'm reading it. I'm reading it with a friend. We have a book club. We're working on it. There are two people in the book club. She and I, and we talk once a week for an hour, and we read one paragraph every week. Uh, and sometimes we talk on the phone. We say, okay, what paragraph are we up to? Or which page? That's better than one paragraph. We sometimes do a whole page, sometimes two. And say, which, which page are we up to? We say, well, it doesn't really matter. We could go back a few pages or forward a few pages. It says the same thing over and over again. It says the mind can get ruffled up and confused and uncomfortable and suffering could accrue. Or you could see clearly and have a, have a mind that's filled with wisdom and equanimity and peace as a result of that wisdom. Could see clearly this is how things are. Jennifer. The name of the book is Trust in Mind. The Rebellion of Chinese Zen. And the author is M-U-S-O-E-N-G. Musang is the director of Mahayana Buddhism at the Barry Center for Buddhist Studies. Uh, he's a contemporary of mine, friend of mine, and a very, very wonderful thinker. Once upon a time, there was a man uh, uh, in Berkeley. In once, I say once upon a time just as a literary flourish. Actually, Bill Cohen, uh, once upon a time, was 30 years ago, maybe 30 years ago. Bill Cohen died. He was a contemporary of mine and a friend of mine, and he died a young man. And he died a young man with uh, a young and flourishing family and a young and flourishing career. And uh, he all of a sudden got, as everything is all of a sudden actually, all of a sudden took ill with a, a rare form of cancer for a man. He had breast cancer actually, which is very unusual in men. And he died. And uh, he wrote a letter that was uh, that he left to his wife to uh, duplicate and send out to all of his friends after he was after he was gone, and she did. And one of the lines in the letter said, "I about my life, I would have wanted more, but I never wanted other." Mm -hmm. And I wrote a story about him in. It's Easier Than You Think, called The First Patriarch of Berkeley, uh, with homage to the third patriarch of Zen. Because I think that, I, I thought at the time, I'd, I'm pretty sure that Bill didn't know about the third patriarch of Zen or uh, much about the Buddha, but I think that he was wise. And I thought about that, that particular line about I, I, I would have wanted more and I never wanted other about what an amazing sentence that is. I never wanted other. You know? Can, do, you think, do you think that in your life? Can you remember a moment? Didn't want other? There was a, there was a Zen teacher. I'm not sure it was Maureen Stewart. I think it was, who died in the last decade, who is said to have said in her last communication, 
Thank you very much. I have no complaints. And I love that as a parting line. And when I tell people about it, that how would it be to be able to say, thank you very much, I have no complaints, as your final commentary on life. And I thought the thing is, I'd like to say that as my final commentary, but I'd like to be able to say it now, before the final commentary. You know, I think, and you come up to the final and you look back and you say, wow, that was some trip. Okay, now I have no complaints. That doesn't count the same as living in a way that has no complaints. Which doesn't mean that nothing ever happens that doesn't disarm you or disappoint you. Um, sometimes I think maybe disappointed is a word that we don't use enough. It has to do with something didn't, well, you know what disappointed means. I learned it early on. I learned it as a, as a uh, uh, I learned it as part of a joke that my parents told in their, in their family circle communities. My parents were the children, were themselves immigrants to this country. And uh, the second language spoken in my home when I was growing up was Yiddish. And people were known from, for, so we knew who was a really good Yiddish, Yiddishist who spoke really well, who spoke kind of broken Yiddish, who was forgetting Yiddish, who only knew three words like, <laughs> like fetch and kibitz. <laughs> Do you know what those two words mean? Everybody knows what they both mean. Uh, fetch means complain. It, it means complain. Kibitz means gossip about things, keep up a running commentary. Uncle, Uncle Charlie does not play pinochle. He just stands behind the players and kibitzes. That's where you would use that sentence. But people spoke, and they would try to outwit each other with words. Do you know how to say this or that? And the, the, there's a whole story about uh, how do you find... Uh, someone said, my mother knows every single word. Every single word. She's fluent Yiddish. And they say, okay, uh, how do you say... Uh, I bet she can't say disappointed. And the whole joke involves the person calls his mother and has a conversation in Yiddish. What day is today? Okay, if today is that day, when is Friday? How many days is it from now? All in Yiddish. You have to be able to do this back and forth and in Yiddish. And Friday night, what's happening? And you're coming to my house for dinner, of course. Of course. And what if I don't come? And the final sentence in Yiddish, until the last word, is da 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 disappointed. <laughs> I can't say disappointed. I don't know how to say disappointed. It's a hard word. But I remember everybody would laugh uproariously because every word of that they could say until you get up to the final one. And then they said, disappointed. I'd be very disappointed. <laughs> but so it's a, it's a universal word, disappointed. It didn't go the way I wanted it to go. And how to be disappointed and not blown away and not, not blown over. You'd be disappointed. I would have wanted other. I would have wanted more. I would have wanted more, but I never wanted other. Who could do that? So the reason that I wanted to read the Zen Patriarch together with you over and over and over again is because I, I keep thinking as I read it through with my friend Sheila, and we talk about it every week, 
that the, the continual question is, how do you keep the equanimity in the mind that says, I'm disappointed, I wish it were other. I, wish, I had wished it was other. Now I'll have to see what happens next from this. Where do I go from here? And what, the, what Musong is saying in his commentary is really, how do you do that? How do you develop that kind of a mind? And he's talking about training and practice and particularly about practice forms like the Eightfold Path uh, as a way of training the mind to regain, to retain its equanimity. That the biggest thing, uh, the the desired goal of practice is wisdom. Wisdom would be, in a certain way, equanimous. Wisdom is both the fruit of equanimity and... The kind of, and what what um, the um, wisdom is the fruit of equanimity, and the maintainer, the sustainer of equanimity. That here's the line that I wanted to read to you last week and didn't have the book with me. Remember, I said that the ta ta ta. Ajahn Chah, the, the Jack's teacher in Thailand, said, Try to be mindful and let things take their natural course. Then your mind will become still in any, circum- in any surroundings, like a clear forest pool. All kinds of wonderful rare animals will come to drink at the pool, and you will clearly see the nature of all things. You will see many strange and wonderful things come and go, but you will be still. This is the happiness of the Buddha. So I think it's a lovely image to think. You see things come and go. Maybe in a, uh, in a way that, that's a, uh, a, a linked to the presumed last sentence of the Buddha, which is everything that arises passes away. Maybe that's the key piece of wisdom that the mind has to know, that things arise and then they don't, they're not there anymore, that things are born and then they die. Everything, people, animals, all created things, and hopes and dreams and experiences, and that that's, that's the way things are. <coughs> Somebody sent me a story how many people here know about sending stories and how many people haven't heard? For some weeks, I've been suggesting that we, any of us could tell a Dharma story. If I said right now, what happened to you this morning, that's a Dharma story. Everybody could say something because something happened that caused a flurry in the mind. The freeway was too crowded. There was no hot water. You were out of your favorite tea. Well, something, not a big flurry, but something How many people had a moment of dismay between getting up and now? Dismay, that's all. And dismay flutter a little bit, and then you say, well, let's see what happens next. So I said, right, oh, you just now remembered your moment of dismay. I think that nobody has had, anybody had not a single moment of dismay? Ah, there, one, okay. Do you do a special thing when you get up to... 
No, I'm serious about it. Yeah, some people, some people. Good, good, good. No, I was teasing a little bit. I, I once knew a person who got up in the morning and said, "Today is the best day ever." And you know, the the rational mind thinks, "How do they know? It didn't happen yet." But why not? get up and say, not only I'm glad that I got up, but this is going to be the best day. Like, what have you got to lose? You know, it really points the mind in the, in the direction of enjoy this day. Stay amazed. As Susan, or this is Susan who signs all her emails. Stay amazed. It is amazing. It's another day. Look what's going on outside. Look what's going on inside. So I, I ask people to send stories. People are sending one or two a day uh, stories of what happens to them when the mind flurries and unflurries. And they're lovely. I'm making a nice collection. So one of them came yesterday from Heidi. And part of her story, part of her story is about, um, I won't read you the whole one, but it's very lovely to read. But it's a story about her camping trip uh, with her husband recently. And they do, uh, they do camping really away from everything. So backpacking for several days. And backpacking for several days, uh, presumably you know, without your iPhones and your, uh, your electronic equipment, you backpack for several days, you really don't know what's going on in the world. And they had a wonderful time, and this really describes how beautiful and fantastic and wonderful. And how the last day, she said, I suddenly had a peculiar feeling that maybe the next day we would get some bad news. Do you ever have that kind of peculiar feeling? Sometimes I think when I haven't had any news, and the mind wonders, I wonder what the news is. Maybe it's good, maybe it's bad. And then I notice if I think that, I don't, I don't dwell, well, maybe I'm going to have some great, wonderful surprise. My, man, my mind tends to go more with maybe it's bad. What bad could have happened? Uh-oh, I'll steal my mind against what bad could have happened. It's just a, it's, it's people who have that sort of uh, worrisome cast of mind. Nobody has that here? <laughs> who has that? I have that. You know, what, it's, it's a what-if mind. What if something bad happened, you know? Most people don't, like, dwell on that. Anyway, she said, well, oh, I see, they, they had uh, phones, but they were up where there was no uh, <laughs> reception. So the next morning, as we were descending and then in our car, we turned on our phones, and they both lit up with plenty of voice and text messages, not so unusual for being away for a week, but the messages were indeed bad news, the kind of mood that changes the bliss from bliss to sadness in a moment. It brought us back to the true nature of our lives, the true nature of all of our lives. Everything changes. Life is difficult for everyone. Things happen because other things happen. It's not personal. It just happens. Life includes everything. And really... I really wanted to read this this morning because I wanted to really say that the unclouded mind that uh, that Ajahn Chah is talking about is a still forest pool, that the unclouded mind is really one that remembers that everything happens 
everything changes. Things happened and then other things happened. And then Heidi goes on to say, I recently heard a story about two elderly women living their last days in assisted living facilities. Both had lost their ability to speak with the exception of three words. One woman had two words and the other woman had one. The words were temporarily, unexpectedly, and precious. So that's about it. Temporarily, everything is temporarily. Unexpectedly is everything also. You know, if, if, if the grass grows, you don't notice it because you expect it. If it grew purple, you'd notice it. You know, that something that surprises is unexpected. Uh-oh. And precious is one moment. I'm glad I started with this. I was going to start by telling you that I currently am close to two people who have who know that their lives are close to the end. Not, but neither of them is in pain at this moment. Neither of them is in pain. Both of them moving around in their lives as ever. But they both have conditions that can suddenly get very much worse. One of them's uh, in order to, because I'm talking into a tape. I'm going to call this person my cousin, uh, and I won't give her a name. But she does have pancreas cancer. And although it was discovered in a part, as part of an examination for something else, it's not giving her any symptom at this moment, which is rare and unusual. But at some point, when it manifests, it probably will not be, a, hopefully, I hope, will not be a long time. And she hopes so, too. In the meantime, she is busy visiting people, doing things, going places. And, and I, I keep learning from her uh, that her focus is not on how brief her time is. Her focus is what she's going to do every day. And I thought to myself, what if I lived like that every day? What should I do today? Realizing that it might be my last day. You don't know, ever. What if I live that way, but not in a maudlin kind of a way, in a really, like a wise kind of a way? Today is, that's a line from a psalm, isn't it? Today, this is a day the Lord has made. Let, let us rejoice and be happy be in glad. it. Huh? Be glad, I think. Let us be glad in it. In it. <clears throat> But that's really, and that's really wonderful because you don't ever really know. People say things like, her days are numbered. Everybody's days are numbered, but you don't know the number, that's all. <laughs> and that, uh, uh, but if you knew, if it, I, I think to myself, how would I feel if I knew 67 days or 42 days? Or Even in hospice, people say, you know, because they have some kind of an idea that they know. But nobody really knows. You know, we really don't know. And somehow, if we, I think to myself a lot about this. If I really say, if, if when I say goodbye to people, I remember that I really don't know. I'll say, I'll see you later. I'll see you tomorrow. I'll see you next week. If I thought every single time, maybe. That would be, that would be really difficult. And it's a... Um, I don't know if you could ever let people out of your sight that way, you know. On the other hand, it would be very precious when we're with people. 
And how do you find that exact place where it's, it, re, it remains precious without being terrifying? So how do you find that particular place? How is, and what I'm counting on, okay, now I'm going to come back to the, the three points that I really want to make today. Often I have ideas, I'm going to make these points and I get up to it and don't. How would I cultivate the kind of a mind that kept that wisdom in it all the time? That this is the only day and this is the only time that I'm alive now. I don't know about tomorrow. Let's see what happens. But in the meantime, how will I have this moment without being clouded or bewildered or overshadowed or contracted because I don't know more than this moment? How will I have that kind of equanimity of mind? And I think that... Uh, let's do it this way. I, I want to tell you three rubrics for understanding that and retaining wisdom. One of them is the Buddha, what the Buddha said. These are the three um, characteristics of life. That every, these are the things that are true. If you knew this, you would live life in that sort of wise way. Here are the three things. If you knew that everything was temporal. When I first heard my first Dharma talk where they said that these are the three things that would cause you to live with wisdom, everything changes. Everything passes. I thought to myself, who doesn't know that? Everybody knows that, you know? But I don't know that we really, really know it. Like, do you, are you surprised at how old you are? Yes. <laughs> are you? You know, that, where did that happen? How did that creep up? You know, or are you surprised? You know, when I just said a little while ago uh, that my son was 57 years old, I thought, how did that happen? You know, I, I remember him being born. I remember what I said. I remember what his father said. Everything. 57 years is a long time in between. If I really, really knew that everything changed, I would really not miss any moment. I wouldn't be foul any day. I wouldn't hold a grudge for a second. Why would I mortgage some time away on ill will? I sometimes do. Anybody here has finished with all? <laughs> I'm better than I used to because I catch it, and it's so unpleasant, ill will. Really unpleasant. But you can mortgage it away on ill will. You can mortgage it away on worrying. That's another big, you know. Anybody here think of themselves as a habitual worrier? Yeah, it's always a lot of, it's a very, it's a, people are shy about it. It's actually one of the five, uh, what the Buddha named as the five um, uh, disruptions or hindrances to clear seeing. And one of them is worrying and fretting. And they just seem to be characteristic of some people. Some people don't worry and fret, and some people do. And the people who don't, say, there's no point to worrying and fretting. Either it is or it isn't. And the people who fret know that, but they worry and fret anyway. It's a, just a different, which is really a cause for compassion. So everything passes. Temporality. 
But the second thing that really that for people to know is that when the mind is in conflict with anything, suffering, it is suffering. The, 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 the way of ease or peace is to say, it's like this. This is what's happening. I'm sure I've told you, because I've told it so many times, that uh, the gesture of hand that I watched Ajahn Sumedho make years ago, he said, when, when things aren't going right in my monastery, in my community, and I worry about it, and I, and I get mad about it, and I'm unhappy about it, and he said, I make the situation worse. It's not only the situation, but then my agitation about the situation. And he said, at some point, I realize how uncomfortable I am with that agitation. And I say to myself, it's like this. And then my mind relaxes. And then, you know, I do whatever I need to do or whatever. He made that little gesture. And I love to tell that story because I felt that gesture in my body, in my mind, like the feeling in the mind when the mind says, I'm not on that committee. You know, I'm just not on that committee. You ever have that? Where your mind is doing something and chewing over it, and then all of a sudden you say, I'm not on that committee. I'm just not doing that. And the mind relaxes. And I got that as a, as a communication from him. And I love that gesture of, you know, it's like this. And then things are all right. I don't suffer. And I went all over the place, and I taught all kinds of people, and I made that gesture, and I said that sentence. And I met him a few years later, and I said, you know, thanks so much for telling that thing. And I tell that same story that I just told you. And I said, you said this and this and this and this. He said, I did. <laughs> and then I said, and then you made this gesture of letting go, just like this. I've been doing that gesture all over the world. He said, I did. <laughs> but, you know, uh, it's like sometimes you, you see, you talk to a teenager and you say, you know, uh, from now on you'll really have to clean up your room or you'll now, you'll now have to come up. And they say, whatever, you know. That, but, it's, but it's like that whatever. But if what, the whatever of a teenager has a little bit of edge in it. It's really not whatever. <laughs> it's an edgy whatever. But, you know, for the mind to be able to say, huh, this is not what I expected, but it's what's happening. I'm all right with it. And the third and the most important of those three characteristics, I think, is understanding that things happen because other things happen. That uh, you might call it the characteristic of contingency, that this is a lawful cosmos, that things happen because other things happen. Sometimes bizarre things happen, you know, they're things happen out of order, or seemingly random things happen, like a terrible accident. Like people talk a lot about uh, really something terrible, like an earthquake, where a piece, of a piece of a freeway falls out, and there are two cars on that piece of freeway at that time. And the reason that they fall down is because they were on that piece of freeway at that time. It's that, that karma... Things happen because other things happen are quite impersonal. You know, they just happen. And there's a way of understanding that where you think, ah. And there's a way of understanding that where you think, okay, it's out of my control. How about in this moment? This moment is in my control. And in this moment, the only thing that's really in my control is my mood about it. 
really. Something could happen to this building. Something could happen in this body. The only movement I have that, that actually, you might say, we're free to do is we're free to make the choice of mind state. I can bless and exclaim and have awe, or I can resist and suffer. So in a sense, it makes it sound so easy. Like who would, who would if you came to a fork in the road and it said down here is trouble and anguish and over here is freedom and happiness, who would not take that? <laughs> who would not make that turn? But somehow, we don't see that all the time. Or over here, it looks like briefly pleasure. Like I'll, I'll just have this little, I'll have this little few minutes of being mad at them and thinking righteous indignation. Then I'll forgive them, you know. But I'll just a little bit feel the righteous indignation. But it muddles up the mind. It fatigues it. It's not good for it. How to be? How to be able to say, okay, choosing wisely. I'm going to leave those three characteristics because I, I wanted to say three things today. That was one of them. One rubric for understanding the path to wisdom is understanding those three characteristics. The practice technique that people teach along with it often goes along with a meditation instruction. You say, as you sit and your mind is at ease, resting in its natural peace and ease, you might say to yourself, May the clearest understanding of impermanence arise for me as I sit here. May the clearest understanding of suffering uh, arise for me. May the clearest understanding of contingency. It doesn't have to be some amazing... As, as I said that to you, I was thinking, may the clearest understanding of impermanence arise for me as I sit here. I might notice that the breath is going in and out and in and out and in and out all by itself. I don't do anything. There's nothing. I don't do anything. There's nothing voluntary about it or intentional about it. It just happens. I might notice that um, the mind is, uh, uh, has a, found, is resting with its natural peace and ease and all of a sudden some thought that could evoke some animosity arises in the mind. So you see again, oh, that's another clear example of things past. My mind was so content and now this unhappy feeling has arisen in it. And so that you see that and then you see, aha, that's a juicy unhappy feeling. I could just grab onto it and think about it for a while and uh, make my mind more tight and uncomfortable. And say, okay, now I have a clear understanding of suffering. That suffering is the tension in the mind from the mind unable to accept the truth of the moment. Here comes an unhappy thought. You think, oh, unhappy thought, it's here again. Okay, let's relax. There, it went away. You know, they can grab onto it and dance or just let it pass through. Everything has a shelf life. You think contingency, as I sit and some thought comes up and, and maybe you notice uh, that there was some sound somewhere that gave rise to a memory that caused this feeling to come up. Things happen because of other things. We don't really have to always know what exactly caused this thought to come up now. 
That doesn't matter. It could come up for six different reasons. But what I do with it and whether or not my mind says, you know what, it's just a thought. There it goes. Now I'll, and I will, what I can do volitionally, it's just a thought. It arrived. I can just watch it go or I can, in fact, say, may all beings be peaceful and happy and come to the end of suffering. I can do something volitional. The volitional that I can always do is bless this moment, is wish well for people. That I'll be able to do until the end, that we, any of us can do until the end. Does that all make sense to you? Mm -hmm. oh, that's a package one. I have 18 minutes to do package two, package three. Package two is the Eightfold Path, because the Eightfold Path is another way of saying, okay, this is a path that leads to wisdom. And it has the, path, the three parts of it that have to do with wise behavior, wise action, wise speech, wise livelihood. The ways in the world that choosing, this is a way that does not stir up, uh, stir up negative emotions in my mind. Uh, Houston Smith, in a book called The Religions of Man, no, now changed to the world, world religions that, because it's a it, it's it's a really good book and there's millions of copies sold and it's a really good book but religions of man is not an acceptable name anymore <laughs> so sometime in the past two decades it got changed to world religions in the beginning he gives some uh, guidelines to what characterizes a religion why is a uh, Buddhism for instance doesn't have uh, a God in the same way that other religions has a God but what makes a what makes a religion and one of the the key thing that I remember him saying is that every religious tradition that's endured over time has some sort of a code of ethics and more or less says uh, don't, don't, uh, it, it's, it's, uh, unwise to take things that are other people's, uh, uh, whether it's their partner or their possessions or whatever. Uh, I, and he, I think he makes the point that the code of ethics addresses itself to all the lusts that might arise in human beings. It really addresses the fact that human beings have, uh, <coughs> likes and dislikes and impulses and lusts, and that it's a wise thing to recognize them and use them in a way that doesn't provoke discomfort in other people. It doesn't work. So he's making really the point that ethics is, uh, ethics is a wise move, not necessarily ordained, but wise just from a point of view of if, if what you're hoping to have is peace of mind and ease and be connected to people who care about you and you to them. And so in Buddhism, we have wise action, wise uh, livelihood, and wise speech. I always think about that, that it's separate apart from wise action and wise livelihood. Like wise speech has a whole category I think because we speech is so potent, you can really say something and really hurt somebody terribly badly. 
Can you remember the first time someone said something really bad to you? How old were you? Five. Five. Anybody else remembers? <laughs> Somebody scolding you? Most people say about five or six, old enough to feel humiliated. Two of the parts of the path have to do with knowing that peace is possible and really saying, I want it for me. Rededicating oneself to that endeavor. The three that we talk about a lot that have to do with inner mind training are wise concentration, wise mindfulness, and wise effort. And we could spend a whole morning, a whole semester, a whole anything on any one of them. But I said them in that order for a particular reason. They usually lined up wise effort, wise mindfulness, and wise concentration. Concentration is the last one. Because, uh, uh, properly, I think, because uh, concentration is really thought of as that kind of, he uh, not heaviness, but gravitas, weightiness in the mind, steadiness in the mind that retains equanimity in it. And mindfulness is the ability to be attentive, to see what is happening, what is happening. And to have that kind of steadiness of mind that can hold what's happening and uh, not get blown away by it. Uh, wise effort is usually the first of those three, but I actually have been thinking of it as the unsung hero of the whole Eightfold Path. I would like to put it as the main important part. I think it has to do with intention. I think it has to do with uh, morality. I think it has to do with everything. Wise effort is the moment-to-moment, -moment, really, the experience-to-experience -experience effort of seeing are there, wholesome, is my, are there wholesome characteristics in my mind? Is my mind filled with wholesomeness? And if it is, keeping it that way. Is there lacking wholesomeness in my mind? Whoops, there is. Okay, I'm going to install some wholesomeness like generosity or goodwill or compassion. I'll install them. There are four of them. The, four, the two others are, is there unwholesome? Is there anything unwholesome in my mind, like revenge, or jealousy, or envy, or is there unwholesome in my mind? I'll, I'll have to put that out of my mind. Is there not unwholesome in my mind? Yes, yes, they're not unwholesome in my mind. Good, I'll keep it out. I actually think that's the fork in the road. I think it's the main thing in the whole path, and I think it's the pivotal point in the path, moment to moment, am I choosing in the direction of wholesomeness or not? In all of our lives, in all of our endeavors, whether we are sitting or being with people or working. It was, one of the, it was an instruction that my teacher, as I was sitting for the month of March, said to me one day. He said, choose ease, moment to moment. Anything comes up, choose ease. What's gonna, what, what, what can you do now that will maintain ease in your mind? When the mind is at ease, 
everything is clear, and then you can choose well. It seems so easy, doesn't it? All compendiums of, of books. There's one particular line from the Sir Zen Patriarch that says, When the deep meaning of things is not understood, the mind's essential peace is disturbed to no avail. I love that word, that line, essential peace. Like that's what it is, essentially. That's the capacity of the mind. And then you can see, what should I do now? I really think that uh, uh, that's an important uh, end piece to saying, Pay attention so that you see what's happening outside and inside and really understand the nature of what's going on. And I think it's got a little bit more on the end of it, but often not expressed, so that what should I do now becomes clear. It's not just to know. It's to be able to respond, because that, I think, is what connects us to life with our heart. Sometimes it doesn't always mean that we have to respond by doing something, we can respond by thinking something, respond by wishing something. But I, I, I think of this as such an active practice. Sometimes people say, well, especially when they think about meditation, they say so passive, but not passive. You know, maybe quiet, but not passive. It really moment to moment. What can I do now? I think sometimes of the, maybe this is too fanciful, but I think of the, here's the soup of the world. Uh, am I adding a good seasoning to it at the moment with my own vibes and my own mind as I go out into the world and go here or go there and do this or do that? We are, each of us, antenna anyway. Everybody's got some kind of, don't you think? That we're antennae and we go out and, you know, I mean, it's, uh, you used to say so-and-so has a good vibe or they don't have a, but it's about that, isn't it? People have vibes, and you know about them, and you get it. So that's the second. The third of the three kinds of ways of practice, or three way formulations for thinking about the Eightfold Path. We got three and three. No, we got two more, uh, Amara. We got uh, we have the three of. Uh, 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 more ethical training, we have the three of mind training, and we have the two of intention training. Really uh, understanding that life is complex and challenging and dedicating oneself to uh, refining the habits of the mind so that they respond in a wholesome way. That's the whole thing, really. Uh, I love that word, wholesome. What if everybody were wholesome? The, th uh, the third one that I wanted to put in just for today, because I, I, I won't be here for a few weeks now, for you have to finish my, my whole thought, is, the, is, is really grouping practice into the um, cultivation of the Brahma Viharas. If we start from the, uh, so instead of the three characteristics, or the Eightfold Path, this is the four Brahma Viharas. These are the four characteristics of a mind that's uh, resting in peace and ease. Let's say that the resting is um, the resting in wisdom. 
you know, I actually think uh, it just floated into my mind uh, the beginning of when I was a child. I went to the movies and. Uh, 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 because I didn't come from a Christian background, I never, apart from movies, heard the phrase, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. But it's meant to be a calming sentence. It means these things happen. And who can understand in the big picture why there are reasons? But the, I, I think that uh, there, there are things that Jews say that mean the same thing, you know, that mean essentially... These are out of our hands. Who knows why this happens? To be able to say these are out of our, this is out of our hands. We do the best I can, we can, but we're not in charge. And to be able to say on the basis of that, we realize that life is fragile or, and people are vulnerable. We fall in love with people. We care about people. We feel about things. We, not only the people who are our kin, but the people who are not our kin, the 300 girls who are missing, the, all of these people who are missing, all of those people that we feel about other human beings is really the, the uh, potential, I think. Uh, I think all religions say that. The potential of the mind that's peaceful is to wish well and to bless. So the fourth understanding is that the mind can rest in a certain amount of wisdom. Things happen because of reasons. It's a lawful cosmos because things arise and pass away, because nothing lasts, because everything affects everything. It's all about contingency. And what we bring to the, the whole of it is the possibility to love it and to bless. That's what we bring to it that possibility. We can resent it and suffer. Or I, every once in a while I remember a book cover, uh, a, dry, a picture on the cover of a book called uh, Born to Win. It's probably 50 years old, that book. Here I see uh, people who might be almost my age. It was a book about transactional analysis, I think, was it? And uh, the, the paperback, maybe the hardback as well, had a picture of a, uh, of a child who, from the, who you're looking at. child is naked and you're seeing the back of the child. And she, because I'm sure it's a she, but who knows, is standing at the shoreline of an ocean and looking out to a vast ocean and standing there and you have the vision of that. And the child is standing there like that with her arms out like that. Here I am, life. You know? And that we could be able to live like that. Here I am, life, means here I am. Uh, my friend Jack once described, um, in a class he was teaching, and someone said about this practice that we do, this Vipassana practice, they said, this is so dry, very dry practice, you know. Uh, this was in the in the early mid seventies when people were. It was very flower tie dye bells and gongs and every kind of practice, and there were people in this big class with bells and gongs and tie dyes and who knows and uh, and they said you know this vipassana very dry no chanting, no singing no dancing no movement no hugging, no nothing. <laughs> and 
where is the bhakti is what this person has. Bhakti is a Hindu term and it has to do with bells and gongs. It has to do with devotional with devotional movements, singing, chanting, moving, bowing, prostrating. I said, where is the bhakti in this practice? And, I, and Jack thought about it for a moment. And he said, you know, I think this is the most bhakti practice of all. You sit down and you, as much as say, here I am, God, do whatever you want with me. I was very moved by that. Because that's what happens in life. You know, here I am. And stuff happens. We're not quiescent. We're not unresponsive. But to not be, to not contest it, to respond to life. Everybody gets their stuff. It happens. You don't know what's going to happen to you from one moment to the next. My two friends that know that the end of their life is coming pretty soon, but they don't know when. You know, I was like this all along, but I didn't know it. But if we only thought about, uh uh-oh, any minute, then it would be macabre. If we thought about, wow, yet another day, let me do something. So the, the fourth the fourth, the fourth of those four categories supported by wisdom. Wisdom supports, is the beginning and end of the Eightfold Path. Wisdom is the ongoing beginning and end of, of seeing the three characteristics. Wisdom is the sustainer of equanimity. Say, these things happen. This too in a life. I feel that mostly every week when we, when we say our prayers for people, I think that there's often something, and I think, wow, that happens too, and that happens too, and look, this also happens. Wow, what a thing it is, this life. Who'd have imagined that? And to have a mind that's, that has that kind of equanimity, look at that. This is what's happening. From that equanimity, which I think is the, really the supreme balance of the wisdom mind, comes the possibility that our three kinds of responses to life can happen. <coughs> that uh, when we see something that's uh, someone or something that's really painful, you really feel compassion for that. That compassion arises out of a sense of, wow, look at this. In this case, life is so difficult. And we feel compassion for people that you don't know. Just because somehow they are in this great vast, amazing life process of things happen. And also the, 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 the possibility of really getting excited for other people, other people's great, wonderful events. Something spectacular happens to somebody, or somebody does something spectacular. Uh, I, uh, I was reading an article about the... Uh, New York City Ballet is preparing its year end of year uh, production, and it shows people doing the most amazing things, you know, and it's it just brings the light to the mind. Look what people can do! I can't do them. I never knew anybody could do them, but people can do them, and life is amazing. The ability to be amazed, the ability to be moved, the ability to look at a vast amount of people and wish them well. 
I told I, I told you last week I'd just been to my grandson's graduation at Sonoma State. I have one more graduation coming up in another week. Uh, and I surely will feel the same. See all these beautiful young faces come out, and you think to the... I, <laughs> I told this to my daughter. Uh, she said, maybe that's macabre, Mom. I said, I don't think so. I said, you see all these beautiful faces come out, and I think to myself, a uh, hundred graduates, a hundred, two hundred, counting the grandparents, who knows how many other people focused on that child. How many trips to the emergency room at 2.30 in the morning? How much orthodontia? How many violin lessons? <laughs> how many Boy Scout outfits? How many Girl Scout cookies consumed that you didn't want to eat for these people to march out? That we care so much about each other. And you really look and you feel about all these people around you who are all pointing, there they are, there they are, there they are, and everybody's recording. And, and, after, and I, I even get goose flushes, I tell you about it, that everyone is so invested in everybody else. I think to myself, people are marvelous. Look what we feel about each other. And we get excited about each other and our human investments, our emotional investments, because they're not all human. We get excited about, we get excited about everything. How do, I, I guess, maybe this is a way to end, although, Clearly, this is a topic that inspires me. I can probably go on for a while, so you have to stop, Sylvia. I think the ability to be excited and the, the ability to be disappointed and the ability to mourn and the ability to rejoice are all part of the whole palette of human abilities. And I think, I, I'm not, I know, I'm sure that people say, what's the result of all your years of practice? How are you different? How I'm different is I have a wider palette, not not a not a lesser palette. I you know I I can I cry more easily, and I get a lump in my throat more easily, and I get excited more easily about all kinds of things. I think it really frees you up to be more excited and more more a participant in the whole of life. So there you go. Stay amazed. And uh, if you've just come for the day, then happy trails. And if you can come back, do come back. And I think we have the, Donald and I have planned out the rest of the year. So it's a little different. There, there are three Sylvias and then three Donalds and more than back and forth, back and forth. So we can, each of us, decide on some theme to elaborate over some period of time. Um, may all beings everywhere take care of each other. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.